Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing we always promise is that we'll make it as mundane and less fascinating as possible so that you can feel free to lie back, sit back, stand back, and just drift off. We also want to say please don't operate any heavy machinery while listening to the Insomnia Project. Thank you for joining us and we hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. And I'm your co-host, Nidhi Khanna. You know, Nidhi, they say that the eyes are the window, windows to the soul. It's true. Tell me about windows. Well, Marco, I love more unique types of windows. Okay. So, I love rooms that have a window structure that kind of adds charisma and character to a room. Kind of like, you know, if you've got almost like a semi-archway or an archway of windows, let's say. Right. That, to me, makes a room quite interesting. Do you have a particular favorite type of window? You know, it's interesting, Nidhi, that when you drive by certain homes and you see unusual shaped windows, so an older home might have a circular or an oval window, or like you say, they might have an archway so that you'll have a sort of semi-concave window. And have you ever seen homes that have stained glass windows, or sometimes they might have a stained glass numbers in older apartment uh, buildings. Those ones always fascinate me. Stained glass is quite interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. it's such a uh, an old technique. Right. You know, any medieval church, um, if you go to the great churches in Europe, there's sure. always stained glass. Mm-hmm. Um, I love seeing even like, you know, how Tiffany would do Tiffany lamps with stained glass or like certain sort of uh, non-religious stained glass that you might see in places. I always find that fascinating. It's always something that sort of catches my eye and I sort of wander, sort of like um, mosaic tiles. I love mosaic tiles. Do you? I do. I find them um, to be White. I, I like mosaic tiles because they can make really small spaces interesting. Okay. So in our um, 
in the home that I grew up in, mm-hmm. we had a small bathroom, just right. a powder room. Sure. And um, there was mosaic tile on the ground and on the walls. And that made it quite, uh, it just gave a very small space a great deal of character and right. beauty. Um, now, you know, Nitty, my sister taught me something that was really useful. She taught me how to make a mosaic trivet. What's that? It would be the, the oh, that's a great question, how to describe. A trivet is something you would place a hot item like a teapot on when you remove it from the stove so it doesn't scorch or burn your counter. Okay. So a lot of people will have trivets that are kind of... cork ones? Cork ones, or sometimes they'll have like a raised metal one. Sure. So what my sister, she's a school teacher, and she did it with her class, and we happened to inherit some really old china that had a lot of chips in it. So it was like a... You know how some china is blue and white? Yes. This was red and white. I don't know the pattern or what it's called, but it was, sure. it's, it's really, and you could see it had like a lot of usage and a, and a f- like where it was once white was now beigey, so it was really old, but it was chipped and some handles were broken off, and so you couldn't use it. It could only be used as display. So what I did was I took this trivet, pardon me, I made a trivet out of the broken uh, cup. So what oh, I wow. did, if you if you will indulge me, yes, please, is I took the, the teacup and I smashed it with a hammer and some uh, pliers to sort of clip it and make little little segments or little jagged edges, and not so jagged, but little mosaic pieces, if you will, like as as you would see little tile pieces, let's say. And then I took an actual tile as my base. So I took a square tile, let's say a five by five tile. And then I took these pieces and like a puzzle, I sort of sorted them so it would look like the teacup had been squashed flat. And each tile, I would take some glue and glue it onto this, say five by five white tile until it, all those little pieces of this classic teacup were glued to the tile. Then I took, and bear with me here, I took like a grout and I grouted between each tile piece, let it set, and I had a trivet that looked like a teacup that had been compressed with all the designs that were on that old, old pattern. Marco, that is incredibly crafty of you. Um, How long did the entire process take? It took me longer to break the cup oh. because you've got to be careful that you don't hurt yourself or... and smash it into two small pieces. Mm-hmm. You uh, like you you want to make sure that you keep the pattern intact, sure. and you want to try to break it in such a way that you'll keep keep pieces. Because I think the pattern is like a woman lounging on a chair or something like that, or like a windmill and windmill and nature. I'm not exactly sure, but what it is, my mother I made it for my mother-in-law. And so, that was what I did for that particular um, trivet, and I got to utilize those those cups once again. And now they are 
back in a place of honor in the kitchen, and the tea kettle is always placed on it. And this is in your mother-in-law's house? Yes, I still have to do one for us. You know, sometimes you make gifts for people with the intention of making one for the entire family and yourself. And of course. You make one and it takes so much effort, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll get to it when I can. But that's a project I want to work on in the next few months. Well, it would be great if uh, the next time you're in Florida visiting your in-laws, that uh, if you could take a photo. Oh, sure. And we'd love to see that because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, I'll, maybe I'll ask my mother-in-law to take a photo of it. And we can post it. The only thing, she timestamps all her photos, so there's a time span. That's okay. We'll uh, put it up there on our Twitter uh, page for our listeners at Listen and Sleep. Um, Have you broken a window? I've never purposely broken a no, window. No, sure. Right. Um, I wouldn't think you were like an arsonist <laughs> a or a criminal, but... Um, I don't think I... No, I haven't ever broken a window. No. Have you ever broken a window? I haven't, but I've gone to my car to find a window. Oh, busted, no. That's never fun. But that's you mentioned, you mentioned a powder room. What What's the distinction between a powder room and a proper bathroom? That's a good question, Markle. A powder room has simply a toilet in a sink. Right. There's no bathtub or shower. Right. It's not okay. a full bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um, it's simply the place you would go to powder your nose. There you go. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about a bathroom versus a powder room and a restroom. So in yes. Canada, we tend to say bathroom. In the U.S., they say restroom. So when you go to a restaurant and you say, where's the bathroom? In the U.S., they look at you like, what do you mean? Well, and interestingly enough, in the UK, they say toilet. Where's the toilet? So when you say bathroom or restroom, they look at you with even more intrigue. Sure. Or in Europe, I love the term WC for yes. water closet. Uh, yes, it's almost an international term when you need to find a I restroom, bathroom. why the nickname then is the loo. That's a great question. Um, you know, if that is something that... The Brits tend to use, but it's one of those carryover words that um, people use in, in many different languages, including various various English-speaking countries. So that's something we'll, we'll get back to you on. But um, have you ever actually powdered your nose, Nitty? That's a good question, Marco. Uh, I have, actually, okay. before. Okay. <laughs> and what's the purpose? Like, I have never powdered my nose. Perhaps I should be. But what is the purpose of powdering one's nose? So, when when I apply makeup, I put a... So, you'll wash your face. Mm -hmm. You may put a moisturizer on. First. Then you'll put a makeup primer okay. to um, appropriately set a base for whatever concealer or foundation is going on next. So I put the powder, uh, you, sorry, so you wash your face, you wait for it to dry completely, and you'll put your primer on and maybe wait a minute or two. Then you put your 
concealer mm. under your eyes. What is it? Uh, that's such an interesting name for a makeup product. What is concealer? Well, it is a good name because it does exactly what it's meant to do, okay. which is conceal, you know, dark spots oh, or I see. dark eyes, like um, not dark eyes, but under eye, the the darkness, the, the dark the, circles. Okay. Oh, sure. Um, and then you wait a couple of moments again, and then you put your foundation on. And if, like me, you use a liquid foundation, mm -hmm. often you'll put a powder after to set everything, to set your makeup. Oh. And so I use a powder brush and I set my makeup before doing anything else. And that keeps my makeup on for the entire day. Now, if you're out at a party or you're, you know, just maybe throughout the day, um... If, you're, if it's a little bit hot outside, for mm -hmm. example, your foundation might start to um, get a little shiny. Okay. Your face might get a little bit shiny. And so in order to take away that shine, you'll put some more powder on. I see. And so um, in a social gathering, I guess, people used to powder their nose. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that... That used to also be a euphemism mm -hmm. for another girl to say, I'm going to go powder my nose, which would indicate to her friend, please join me oh. because I have something to talk to you I about. I see. So, another use of powder your nose, of course, and this was probably in the 80s and 90s, right. most predominantly, would be to go and use a little bit of white stuff. In the powder. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Powder my nose. Right. Oh, my goodness. The things that you learn um, when you talk about something that's not in your wheelhouse for me, no, exactly. it's putting makeup on. So thank you for that makeup lesson. You're welcome. Maybe. You're welcome. Um, Marco, I just um, had a wonderful salad Right. that... Uh, was made actually at the place that you work at. Right. And it was a tomato salad. That's right. It was a caprese salad, but unlike any caprese salad that I've ever had. So traditionally with a caprese salad, you tend to have your tomatoes mm. and you have your, sometimes they'll give you small mozzarella balls. Sure. Is it mozzarella? No, it's... it's uh, yeah, a caprese it, would be like, um, it's, like it's base is tomato, basil, um, uh, mozzarella, yeah. like a like a either bocconcini or like That's a it. buffalo mozzarella, olive oil, salt, and some people put pepper. Simple. Well, the caprese salad that I had this afternoon was phenomenal. Okay. Because it was heirloom tomatoes. Right. Delicious, sweet, succulent, with um. I love I love heirloom tomatoes because they come in so many different colors they and do. patterns and sizes. And so these were red and yellow and purple. Sure. And uh, it had a bit of chili. And you love chili. I love my chili. Some olive oil and what was the base? It was like a chili base a too, chili so base like a cheap well, chili powdered oil base, which was amazing. And mm. then on top of it. Instead of having actual small mozzarella pieces, mm -hmm. uh, 
you poured it as a cream. Yeah, it was like a mozzarella cream, maybe. Yeah. Which was phenomenal. Right. Um, but as someone who doesn't normally have raw tomatoes as oh, a go-to. Oh, really? You don't? No. Oh, I love raw tomatoes. Really? Mm -hmm. Is it one of your favorite? Now, do you think tomato is a fruit or a vegetable? I see it as a vegetable. Interesting, because technically it's a fruit. Really? It is. Because I don't picture the tomato being something that's sweet like fruit, mm -hmm. but rather it's savory like in sauces. So the reason it's considered a fruit mm -hmm. is because it has seeds. Okay. Whereas, like a, like a core seed. Right. Um, whereas vegetables don't, I believe. I'm going to double check that. Okay, now. fair enough. But I believe, if I remember correctly, that, that's one of the reasons why it is considered a fruit and not a vegetable. Okay. I, I love I love tomatoes. For me, tomatoes are so versatile because they can be used raw in salads or accompany various sort of um, other sort of fruits and vegetables like the avocado and tomato go so well together. Uh, they can be sliced thin or made into chunks. They can be pureed. They can come in different sizes, shapes, colors, you name it. But I love a tomato. The only thing about the tomato is you've got to be careful when you put a tomato in the refrigerator because the tomato can become very mealy. And that's the one thing I hate when you have a mealy tomato or an anemic tomato that's sort of not ripe and it, it's trying to get to that wonderful tomato red, but it, it kind of doesn't get there. And there's so many different types of tomatoes from the, you know, Roma tomato to the Marzano tomato to those heirloom purple tomatoes that you had mentioned before. Marco, can you think of any food mm -hmm. or type of culinary, um, well, call any, any sort of food, basically, food group, types of foods, culturally, any food that does not, um, when I mean food, I'm not explaining this correctly. Sure. Any type of cuisine, okay. that's a better word, that doesn't use tomatoes. Oh. I think tomatoes are so versatile also because I, I can't think of one cuisine that right. wouldn't use tomatoes in some sort of I base. I don't know the cuisine of Nordic countries. Oh. So like perhaps, you know, where it's too cold to grow tomatoes, uh, perhaps they don't use tomatoes, but uh, I can't think of any because most of the dishes I love from different cultures will have tomatoes in them. I always love looking at a tomato plant when it flowers because the flower of a tomato plant is so small and bright yellow, or at least the tomatoes that I'm used to. And I love seeing little bees and whatnot on the flower of a tomato. I always find that when I'm in a tomato patch on them is that there's a bunch of bees pollinating the various flowers. Are you in a tomato patch quite often? You know, it's funny you should ask that, but my family has a garden in the backyard and tomatoes is one of the sort of staples that they have in there and so you know you're always required to go down and check on the tomatoes and water the tomatoes or go pick some tomatoes there's some tomatoes that are ripe on the vine and there's 
nothing quite as delicious as grabbing a tomato off the vine and eating it while it's still warm from the sun that it was under. You spoke a moment ago about pollination. Sure. And bees. Mm -hmm. bees. Bees are great pollinators. They are. I was just about to say bees. Mm -hmm. Friend or foe? Oh, friend. Okay. Friend. Um, because they say that if all the bees were to die off, then we would have no way of actually creating food. There right. would be an actual mass uh, food shortage. And the well, bees it's are the key to everything, essentially. Yeah. It's funny because, um, you know, that's been something that's come up fairly recently when people are talking about bees and the importance of bees. Um, but definitely there's a lot of different sort of pollinators out there that will pollinate different fruits, vegetables, trees, you name it. And I think even the wind, like, if I remember correctly, a flower can be pollinated even with the wind kind of carrying sure. some of that pollen substance to another flower. Of course, yeah. Uh, the wind can pollinate and certain flies and insects will pollinate as well as bees, of course. But I think bees are very important. Of course, I have the luxury of not being allergic to bee stings. Mm. Have so you ever been stung by I, a bee? I got stung by wasps and those are, that's very painful. I have been stung by bees in the past. How about yourself? I don't believe so. I, I'm pretty sure that if I had been stung by a bee, I would remember it mm -hmm. from the pain sure. that people seem to describe, but I don't believe I have been. No. I got stung by a bunch of wasps one time when I was cleaning the roof of my cottage. All of a sudden, I, I was on a ladder, maybe, <gasps> and I was just getting Michael. stung like crazy. But we took care of those wasps, and they shall sting no more, is what I'll <laughs> tell you as far as that's concerned. But I think it's important to maintain our bees and make sure that we have bees out there pollinating. Uh, pollination is one of those things that doesn't get talked about enough, maybe. And it's so interesting like to see certain types of plants that get pollinated or plants that are carnivorous, that fool different uh, yeah. uh, insects to come and pollinate. And, and you know, like the Venus flytrap that will sure. close its sort of jaws onto the fly that pollinates it. Or the, have you ever heard of the pitcher plant? No, what's that? It's a plant that kind of has a base like, that looks kind of like a, a pitcher or like a, it has a kind of like a flask okay. to, to it. And it has a little almost top to it. So the fly will go in and that particular plant will have, if I'm not mistaken, water in it. So the plant, the fly goes in and ends up drowning in the plant and then it'll drain the water and the wow. fly will sort of disintegrate and the... Deadly plant. And there's plant. another one, I think it's called a dewdrop or like a. Okay. And it has a very, very sticky uh, top to it. So when the fly sticks on it, like lands on it, it sticks to it and oh, then wow. it gets tangled in the sticky substance and can't move. And then. Sounds like you're describing an Indiana Jones um, <laughs> Temple of the Doom uh, scenario or something like that. Um, it's interesting mm -hmm. that
plantation can be so deadly. Uh, for me, it's funny because when I think about bees pollinating, mm-hmm. I think about, you know, elementary school and how before you learned about the true birds and the bees, right. as they say, you actually learned about the birds and the bees. Right, of course. And how the bees pollinate flowers. And that was kind of your introduction to um, the beginning of learning about sex ed and stuff like that. Right, I know for me, pollen, as someone who has allergies, can really wreak havoc on my whole like day if I if I get into a pollen that I'm allergic to. Oh, yeah. Sometimes when I'm in a different country, the pollen will affect me in different ways. Really? Yeah, and so there might be a plant that you that you don't encounter in your home country that when you travel you do, and then all of a sudden your allergies really really flare up. Allergies, uh, and and it's funny how you have the summer the sorry the sort of September fall allergies, and right. then you have the spring allergies. Sure. Um, do you find that there's a difference in the two for you? I tend to have allergies predominantly in the spring and fall, but I feel them when it rains. So after oh. a rain, uh, I feel I feel my allergies the strongest. Do you have allergies, Nitty? I um, don't have like diagnosed allergies, mm-hmm. um, but I am definitely impacted by pollen. Uh, but not too severely. So I haven't in the last couple of years really been impacted by um, a pollen allergy. However, that being said, um, it does impact me. Like, I think once it starts, it's really hard for it to stop. Like, the minute your eyes start to water, etc., it's it's hard because you want to start rubbing them and it becomes all scratchy. But... Do you have any other allergies, like a peanut allergy? No, thankfully I don't. Me neither. I'm lucky I'm, that way. I had passion fruit once, and it gave me a swollen lips and face, but I don't know if it was the passion fruit itself or the can that it came in may have been oh. tainted or something. But yeah, I had a reaction to some sort of um, passion fruit cake that my mom's neighbor made, and I dove into so I've been very cautious <laughs> around passion fruit and it's fortunate because we don't see passion fruit that much no, we do not. but we do hope we'll see you or at least we do hope you will hear us on a future episode of the Insomniac Project feel free to tweet us at listen and sleep as always the Insomniac Project is produced by John Cass Productions